While preachers preach of evil fates, teachers teach that knowledge waits, can lead to a hundred dollar plates. Goodness hides behind its gates. But even the President of the United States sometimes must have to stand naked. Bob Dylan sang that. It's all right, Ma. I'm only bleeding. 1965 from the Bringing It All Back Home album. Don't worry, you haven't stumbled across a Bob Dylan podcast. Welcome to a photographic life. In a week which is truly historic, I record this podcast just as the news that Joe Biden has been appointed as president-elect. Following the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy in Los Angeles on the June the 5th, 1968, his body was taken to New York City for a funeral mass in St. Patrick's Cathedral. After the completion of the mass, Kennedy's coffin was transported by a private funeral train from New York to Washington, D.C., to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery on June the 8th. It was a Saturday, and mourners came out by the hundreds of thousands to line the tracks along the 225-mile journey. A trip that would normally have taken four hours ended up lasting more than eight hours. On board the train that day on assignment for Look magazine was star photographer Paul Fusco who ended up taking thousands of photographs of morning faces, tributes and patriotic displays along the way. The collection of photographs ended up becoming more than a document of Kennedy's final journey. They became a powerful collective portrait of America at a pivotal moment in its history. In 1977, William Eggleston released Election Eve, his first and most elaborate artist book containing 100 original prints in two leather-bound volumes housed in a linen, I should say, box. It was published in an edition of only five and has since become Eggleston's rarest collectible book. Stiedel have since recreated and published the full original sequence of photos in a single volume, making it available to a wider public. But Election Eve contains images made in October 1976, during Eggleston's pilgrimage from Memphis to the small town of Plains, Georgia, the home of Jimmy Carter who in November 1976 was elected the 39th President of the United States. Eggleston began photographing even before he left Memphis and depicted the surrounding countryside and villages of Sumter Country before he reached the plains. His photos of lonesome roads, train tracks, cars, gas stations and houses are mostly empty of people and form an intuitive, unsettling portrait of the plains, starkly different to the idealised image of it subsequently promoted by the media. But let's think about Stanley Tretic, born in 1921, who died in 1999, 
an American photojournalist who worked for UPI, Look and People magazines and covered every president from Harry S. Truman through George H.W. Bush. Tretic also did stills for many films, including All the President's Men. He's best known today for the photographs he took of John F. Kennedy's 1960 campaign and presidency. Or what about Kenneth Jarrett? Jarrett was a White House photographer and also contributor to this podcast. And he was a White House photographer in the Reagan years. He covered the demonstrations in Tiananmen Square as well and the first Gulf War and and nine Olympic Games since 1988. What about Pete Souza, who served as an official White House photographer, also under Reagan, from 83 until 89, and was the former chief official White House photographer for Barack Obama and the former director of the White House Photography Office. He was a photographer with the Chicago Tribune, stationed at the Washington, D.C. Bureau from 98 to 2007. And during this period, he also followed the rise of Obama to the presidency. What images will be left that illustrate the past four years of Donald Trump? I feel sorry for Sheila Craighead, his official photographer, just as I feel sorry for any photographer who isn't allowed to do their job, who's working for a client who thinks they know better and sees the photograph as nothing more than a construct. You get the official kind of impression from the photographs that Trump is in total control. She was a hired hand for a bad client who wanted to control everything and who had no respect for photographers or photography. But what are the images that we're going to be left with? And I think it's really important to think about that. Never before has the photographic image had such power and such weight, despite the fact that we're in a period of moving image, of audio, of podcast, of constant information overload, The photographic still image still maintains power. The image of Nancy Pelosi leaning over a boardroom table pointing at Trump and his assembled staff like he was a naughty schoolboy sticks in my memory. And it's one I've spoken about in a previous episode of the podcast. What about Trump travelling down the escalator at his New York Trump Tower, having announced that he would run for president, looking like yesterday's celebrity at a shopping mall in person? Or maybe on the balcony of the White House, taking off his mask, having returned from his COVID-enforced hospital visit? Is that a memory that's going to stick with us? None of those images were created by his personal photographer. And in just the last week, I saw an image that somebody uh, described as being uh, destined to become a classic photo of the era. Some photographers in the briefing room had noticed the exit sign hanging above a door. It was a simple move to frame Trump at the lectern next to that exit sign. For me, it was a cheap shot in all senses and an easy solution 
to narrative. It didn't really contain the qualities that are required of an image, empathy, emotional connection, that sense of connection that we all have with a photograph that somehow means something to us. We've come to the end of Trump's time now, and I'm sure many of you listening will feel that's a good thing. I'm very rarely political on this podcast, almost never. But Trump takes us somewhere else. It takes us outside of politics, I believe, and takes us to a place of common decency. And let's just hope that Biden can take us back there. It seems appropriate to me that we should have a photographer in this special election photography episode. Or I suppose political, American political uh, episode. That we should have a photographer that connected with that. And the photographer I've uh, chosen to join us this week is a photographer who I first came across his body of work that showed a pre-Trump America through a series of portraits and a post-Trump America. Both sets of images diametrically opposite to each other in the way in which they're created and their aesthetic. So who am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about British-born Richard Beaven, who's based in the Hudson Valley of New York and works as an award-winning editorial documentary photographer. Beaven's passion for photography started at the age of 11, but it was not until 2012 when he left a successful career in advertising and moved to the small community of Ghent, New York, that he was able to concentrate on leveraging his own project work along with newspaper and magazine assignments to build a reputation in photography. He gained wide recognition for his In Trump Country before and In Trump Country after series, as I just discussed, and has recently completed his most ambitious self-assigned project to date, All of Us, Portraits of the Ghent Bicentennial which includes 276 portraits of residents in his town. His Ghent portraits were published as All of Us by Daylight Books in the autumn of 2020, and Beaven's clients include The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, National Public Radio, BuzzFeed and Desight. He has been featured on the NPR Hudson River Stories, BBC News and the Jeffrey Sadoris podcast. In addition to his photography career, Richard and his wife Mimi own and operate Little Ghent Farm in the Hudson Valley, New York State. I've been thinking about education a lot recently, specifically about the process of learning versus the end result. Here in the US and across the world, millions of students, including my youngest daughter, have been and are studying for their results remotely. Tragically, they're being robbed of the physical life experience of learning in all its forms. Only the results seem to count. In contrast, photography for me can only ever partly be about getting the final photograph. It's mostly about the actual physical experience of photographing in life, the itch of curiosity scratched by meeting people and all the learning that goes with it. Photography is a wonderful teacher way before the final result is seen and considered. 
Now, I'm not going to be the first person here to have been inspired and bitten by the bug at an early age, in my case at age 10. I'm not going to be the first person here to have been captivated by the images of Don McCullen and for one of his books to have been my first on photography. And I'm not going to be the first person here to have been consumed and driven by what photography is and what it has to offer me every day. The emotional highs and lows, the sense of being on the right lines one minute and a failing imposter the next, as well as the feeling that the next photograph could well be the best one yet. But I might be the first person here to share that I tried and failed to get into what was then Newport College in Wales. I was 17 and inconsolable. There was no plan B. I'd like to think it was a Daniel Meadows or David Hearn who broke the news to me, but honestly, I don't recall. In my case, they said I should come back when I'd experienced more of life through my camera. Whoever it was was right. In hindsight, it was a case of realising that the most important thing is to be in life and to be making pictures that way. In other words, experiencing the process of life rather than simply aiming for a photographic result. It felt like a punch to the gut at the time, but it was an important lesson learned. We are all products of our experiences, and I think our photographs are the same. I went to Bristol Polytechnic, entered the world of advertising, and carried on with my pursuit of learning about life through my camera in my own time. I travelled a lot during my time in advertising, maybe to 35 countries. I learned a lot about human behaviour and motivations. I learned about the power of why over what and the value of insightful questions. And now I'm constantly learning about involving some ambiguity in my photographs for, for personal work in order to provide the viewer with some work to do, some questions to ask. I quit my advertising career in 2012. It was time. I needed to dedicate my life to photography and to restoring the small holding in upstate New York, which became our family home. One by one, I was lucky to gain assignments from different national newspapers and magazines. But my real reward was my, in my personal work. The process of researching and photographing my self-assigned projects was how I was being inspired and where I learnt the most. I discovered I didn't need to travel the world to explore. The world of possibilities was on my doorstep. I seek stories that blend proximity, topicality and some personal connection. I'm constantly asking the questions, who cares about this? And what is the meaning of what I'm doing? I am in life and photographing it just like Meadows and Hearn prescribed. In 2016, when the possibility of Trump winning the US presidency seemed obscure, I photographed a series of portraits of people in upstate New York who had made their own signs in support of his candidacy. I had seen the signs, but I always wanted more. I wanted to talk to and photograph the sign creators, so I started knocking on doors. I went back a year later to, to learn what they had thought about his first year. Photography is teaching me to connect with people unlike myself. In this case, 20 people I'd never met before or would have had no reason to have ever met. In 2018, I photographed 276 of my neighbours in Ghent, New York, where I live. It's a small town, population around 5,500. Most of the people I photographed were strangers at the time. It was bicentennial year and I'd been struck by the lack of archive material for future generations to look back on. What would our generation have? Photographs trapped in dusty, rusty iPhones in the attic? But now the town archive, con archive contains a complete set of prints and a book of these portraits has just been published by Daylight Books. In the book, there is a quote by English author Ronald Blythe talking about his own writing describing people in a Suffolk village in the 60s. I think my view of human life is how brief and curious most people's lives are, he says. 
Yet when you come to talk to them, you realise how strong they are and how unbelievably rich their lives are, also how subtle and various. I think about that every day and in many ways it guides my own photography. Through the practice of photographing, I learn that books, so to speak, cannot and should not be judged by their covers. I am being reminded of this again and again as I work on a new series of photographs portraying an Irish community in a nearby town. Perhaps I photograph in an attempt to come to terms with how and where I belong. With nearly 19 years in the US and a recently acquired Irish passport to go with my UK one, I often ask myself that question. Now I know for sure that I do not photograph people because I agree with them necessarily or even relate to them. I want to better understand them through the experience of photography. I meet people, I realise that we are different yet connected and share more in common than separates us. Something we might all want to remember in this hyper-conflicted, partisan world we find ourselves in. So, Mr Hearn, Mr Meadows, or whoever it was in Newport on that day back then, thank you for teaching me such an important lesson and for providing a powerful catalyst for me to be in life with my camera. I'd like to think my experiences through photography, rather than simply the photographs themselves, would give me a better chance of earning a place on the documentary course today than I had then. I'll continue to be an eternal student and cherish the experience of learning through the process. Photography has become a part of who I am, not just what I do. Thank you, Richard, for your contribution this week. It seemed totally appropriate and deals with so many issues that I think a lot of photographers deal with. Really interesting that he mentioned Daniel Meadows there, who appeared on a previous podcast. Check that one out if you haven't already. And also David Hearn, who appeared in the Bill J documentary film that we made, uh, Do Not Bend. You can check that out at www.donotbendfilm.com if you're not aware of that. But I think the most important thing was that sense that he was talking about Don McCullen and so many themes that have appeared in previous contributions. And finally, the book is available for you to purchase, which is the uh, compilation of 89 of our previous contributors to the podcast explaining what does photography mean to them. So the name of the book, What Does Photography Mean to You? Available now at £9.99 from the Blue Coat Press website. Check that out at bluecoatpress.co.uk. It's a great book, I think, and I hope you agree with me. little edited... um, segments from each of the contributions with a portrait of the photographer they've supplied themselves. Historic times without any shadow of a doubt and therefore we've gone a little bit longer this podcast. I've also been a little bit short of breath but that may be down to the red wine I've been drinking to celebrate uh, Joe Biden's uh, arrival and Donald Trump's departure. My hope and my, I suppose, how can I describe this? My good wishes are with all of our American friends and our American listeners, because I really do feel that this is an opportunity, perhaps, to start to readdress and change things. In the coming weeks, I will be speaking on a Zoom call 
with Bill Shapiro, former editor of Life magazine, about that book I was just talking about, the What Does Photography Mean to You? So if you want to find out about that event, if you want to join us, I think a number of the photographers from the contributions will also be joining us as part of that Zoom event. It will be free. You'll just need to register through Eventbrite. So I'll mention the full details in next week's episode, but keep an eye on the uh, Twitter for UN of Photo, at UN of Photo, and uh, you'll get the full details there. So a historic week. I don't think it's been a historic podcast, but as always, I just do my best. I'm one man in a shed fighting against the world speaking out. I'm on your side. Take care.